Um, we're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series uh, with Noah today. I hope you're ready for some Noah's Ark. That's where we're going this morning. Uh, so we'll start in Genesis chapter 6. We'll go to Genesis chapter 9. We'll end in Hebrews 11. That's our journey today. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Uh, just a quick update. Following up from last week, I, I gave a new building announcement last week and just said the ball was moving down the field, even if only by inches each week. Well, we got a first down this week. I want to tell you about it. Uh, Friday, I know, it's, it's great. So actually two first downs. Uh, so uh, just quick announcement, we, we got a notification late Friday that all of our drainage study is now approved by City of Fort Worth. And that has been the big hangup over the last 12 months. So all that is done and behind us. Um, as far as replatting, there's a few formalities we've got to take care of over the next couple of weeks. Our building permit has already been submitted. We're already in the middle of that process as well. And we close on our interim loan this coming Friday. So um, we can definitely see God's timing and all things coming together here. And so I want to give you that update. Um, so we'll continue to do that each week as, as, uh, as God unfolds that for us and his timing and those things. We want to let you know that. Um, if you're visiting with us here today and you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. And you have no idea what this big object is in the back of the room. That's going to be our new entrance during construction. So uh, first, you're going to see a new driveway going in out here with some new parking. And then we're going to move our entrance to this side of the building. And, uh, and then at that point, they're going to do some demo to get ready for the new worship center. So all that's going to start unfolding once our building permit is done. Uh, but we're well into the middle of that process. So I want to give you that update. We're excited about that. Um, again, if you're visiting with us, glad to have you. So we're in a sermon series right now. This is week two entitled The People of God. And we are walking through the prominent characters of the Old Testament, looking at their individual stories in order that we might better understand how the, those little stories fit into the bigger story of redemption that God is writing through the Bible. Now, our end goal is to have a better understanding of our own stories, how the story of redemption is still being written today in our individual lives and, and what, how our lives connect to the stories in the Bible. And so today we're going to be looking at the story of Noah. Um, what I want to do is just do a little recap from last week. We looked at Adam last week and how um, Adam was created as an image bearer. Uh, but not only that, how Adam passed that image bearing quality on to his children. They passed it on to their children, so on and so forth, all the way to us today. So we sit here today as image bearers. We also looked at how that image bearing quality in Adam and Eve was distorted and corrupted by sin. And so Adam didn't pass on a good and right image of God to his children. He passed on a corrupt image of God to his children, and they passed it on to their children, and they passed it on to us here today. We looked at that last week, and we were looking at the genealogy of, of Adam in Genesis chapter 5, and we, we saw that the curse of sin and death was passed on, again, from generation to generation. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 5, you're going to see the genealogy or the lineage of Adam connecting him to Noah. And as each person is mentioned and their little brief bio in chapter five of Genesis, at the end of each bio, you're gonna read these words, so-and-so lived X number of years and then he died, right? So that curse of sin and death now is impacting every man, every woman, every generation, right? They live so many years, they, they father, they mother so many children, but at the end, death has the final word. Now, there's one exception to this in the genealogy of Adam. And this is in chapter 5, verse 24. It's about a guy named Enoch. So as each family member is mentioned, lived so many years, fathered so many children, then he died. In verse 24, we read that Enoch 
walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now there's something contrasting Enoch with everybody else in the lineage, two things. One, he walked with God and number two, he didn't die. He was taken instead. And in this one verse, we begin to to see a hint of this reality that somehow the curse of sin and death might be undone one day. Right? If, if death could escape Enoch, if there's something about Enoch that allowed him to avoid the curse of sin and death, then surely the curse of sin and death could be undone. So Enoch walked with God. He was not, and God took him. And this lineage continues all the way down until we get to Noah. And what we learn about Noah is that by the time we get to Noah, the world is a really corrupt place to live. Somebody asked me last week after the sermon, do you think that the curse of sin and death has become more and more intense year after year, generation after generation? And my, my answer uh, was very simple. I said, no, I don't think it's more intense. I just think it's more widespread. Because the same corruption we see in a news article like shooting in Odessa or El Paso or Orlando, or, right? We see this corruption widespread around the world. The corruption was still there at the beginning in the fall when Cain murdered Abel. And it's not that the corruption has intensified as much as it's now more widespread. And by the time we get to the days of Noah, God describes the earth as being this this corrupt place with, with widespread sin and corruption to the point where the intentions of every man is evil all the time. And so we'll enter into Noah's story in Genesis chapter six, starting in verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, does that sound familiar? This is the second time we've read in the book of Genesis that somebody walked with God. Do you remember Enoch? He walked with God, right? And that that undid the curse of sin and death in his life. And now we're reading that about Noah. Just a few generations later, Noah, what set Noah apart is that he walked with God. Verse 10, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So like Enoch, Noah walked with God. So what does that mean when we read that Enoch or Noah walked with God? Well, the word in the Hebrew language means to walk in fellowship with and obedience to. So it's more than just physically you and I walking side by side. It means to walk in relationship with. So it's not that Enoch just physically walked through this world with an awareness of of God. He walked in relationship and obedience with and or to God. And so Noah, like Enoch, he walked in fellowship with God. He had a relationship with God. What does that mean then? It means that Noah and Enoch, they knew who God was. They knew his character. They knew, that he, they knew that he speaks with authority, that his words can be trusted when he makes promises to us. And so Noah walked with God. Now, in verse 11, we're gonna get a description of just how bad things have become. Now, it's interesting because, now, whether you've been in church all your life or not, you have a good idea of the story of Noah, right? Right? And I think it, in some ways, um, I've seen <laughs> uh, a great disjustice done to the story of Noah uh, in children's church when we 
right? We paint this, this, this bright, sunny day, and there's animals all around skipping and holding hands, and there's a rainbow in the sky, and everything seems to be happy, but we have to start with, is, this was a catastrophic event in the story. Like, it didn't start with everybody skipping and sunshine in the sky. Listen to how the story begins, verse 11. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's eyes or his sight. And the earth was filled with violence. Not small pockets of violence, not one-off moments of violence. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This story doesn't start well, does it? Widespread corruption and violence to the point where God says, I am going to act. Now what we learn from the story of, we'll call it Noah's Ark, but it's really the story of God's flood and God's salvation. What we learn from this story is who God is. God is a holy and righteous God. And because of that, he punishes sin. Right, we see it from the very beginning. Noah, the earth is corrupt. I am gonna punish sin. God is holy and he punishes sin. Now he's gonna speak to Noah and he's gonna ask him to do something. Verse 14, he speaks to Noah and he says, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. We're gonna stop here and we have to try to wrap our minds around how big of a deal this is from Noah's eyes. So the world, the earth had never seen a flood like this. Uh, The earth had never seen an ark like this. So he wasn't saying to Noah, hey, go grab a bunch of people and you know how to build an ark. I just want y'all to go build an ark. He says to Noah, no, I want you to do something. I want you yourself to build this with your hands. I want you to build an ark. So what follows after that verse I read are the detailed instructions on how to build an ark. Because why? Noah didn't know how to build an ark, right? He'd never seen an ark. Build it this big, make it this long, make it this tall, make it this wide. Cover it with pitch, waterproof it. So God is engineering this ark for Noah. And he's telling him, I want you to go and build this thing. It's really hard to put yourself fully in Noah's shoes, right? I mean, if all the world is corrupt and Noah's kind of the goody-goody in the culture, there's a good chance he's already somewhat ostracized and being picked on by the people around him, right? And now he's going to start this backyard project where he's going to build this huge boat right, that the world has never seen before to help provide salvation from this flood that the world has never seen before. And so it, it stands to reason that Noah stood out a little bit among his neighbors, among his friends, his relatives. It, it stands to reason that he was probably known as the loony religious nut in the family, right? Oh, Noah's at it again. Right? He's building a big 
ark, what's an ark? It's this big floating thing, like a big boat. He's going to put a bunch of animals in it, right, so that they can escape the flood that God's going to send to the earth. Now, I say all that because I really want verse 22 to impact you. I really want us to feel the weight of verse 22. Listen, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Try to imagine what that verse means. Without hesitation, without pressing back against God, Noah did what God asked him, commanded him to do. This is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Really think about that. He's not just building a treehouse in the backyard. To build an ark to escape a flood that the world has never seen before. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now this tells us not only about God's character, but it tells us a lot about how God interacts with his people. Right? God calls his people and leads his people to do things that seem impossible and require us to completely trust in him. So I don't know for sure what your ark is, but this is the pattern of how God leads his children. He calls us to do things that 100% require us to do what? To trust in him. And we see this pattern set for how God interacts with his people. And we think about why would Noah trust God so much? Well, I think the answer is embedded in what we read about Enoch and what we read about Noah. They walked with him. When you walk in relationship with somebody, don't you begin to pick up on whether or not they're trustworthy? Whether or not you can count on them to do what they said they were going to do. They're going to show up when they said they're going to show up. They're going to carry out whatever they said they were going to carry out. So as Noah walked with God, he came to know God's character and he became to find out that God actually is trustworthy. If he says he's going to flood the earth, he's going to flood the earth. If he says build this boat and it'll float, it's going to float. Well, explain to me how that's going to work, Noah. I can't, right? How is this going to work? God's going to flood the earth. Is he going to put a bunch of thunderstorms in the atmosphere? I don't know. Well, then how do you know that this is actually going to happen? What would Noah's response be? Because God is trustworthy. That's it. How do you know God is trustworthy? Because I walk with him. I walk in relationship with him. This isn't our first conversation, right? I've cried out to him. I've prayed to him. I've asked of him. He's spoken to me. And God is trustworthy. And so Noah does all that God commanded him. Now, as the story unfolds, you've, you've probably, if you haven't read the story from the Bible, you've at least seen a fictitious representation of this, right? Whether it's Evan Almighty or some version of God flooding the earth. And I really think it's hard for us to imagine the catastrophe of the flood. Really. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds of people and animals drowning. Like right now, we're bracing for a hurricane to hit the coast of Florida and, and work its way up the East Coast. And, right, and we're boarding up windows and people are evacuating. And, and we've got this, this hurricane coming in, right? But we're talking about the entire earth engulfed in a hurricane. Torrential floods. This is a catastrophic event that unfolds. And step by step, Noah is trusting God. We know that after it rained and flooded the earth, 
There was a season where Noah and his crew and all the animals are just out floating. The rain has stopped and now it becomes, well, <laughs> we're floating, now what? I mean, will we, will we ever see dry ground again? Will we ever see dirt again or see grass again? And at some certain point, Noah begins to send birds out. And if the bird comes back to the ark, he knows what? It didn't find a place to land. And eventually, God dries up the earth, the ark lands, they come out of the ark, and God calls Noah and his children into a time of worship. Now, when we read this story, you know, one of the mistakes that we make is that God chose Noah because of his, because he was a goody-goody because he was a religious person, because he never made mistakes, always made righteous choices. But if you read the story, Noah wasn't a goody-goody. There was something different about him, but it wasn't his moral excellence. Matter of fact, if you keep reading about this this worship service that, that Noah and his sons have, after that, he celebrates a little too much. He gets drunk passes out without his clothes on, and his boys discover him the next day. So this this is not your who's who among moral people. That's not why God spared Noah. We'll pick this up in verse eight of chapter nine. So after the waters had receded, God makes a promise to Noah and his sons. In verse eight, Chapter 9. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So, covenant, that's a big word. What God is saying is, Noah, I'm making a promise to you, but not just to you, right? To the generations that will follow, to your offspring. I am making a covenant promise with you. And so, all throughout the Old Testament, we see God making promises and entering into covenants with different people at different times. He's going to do the same thing with Abraham. He's going to make a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with David, just for an example. Now, some will kind of split hairs over this, and and some people think that it's actually just one covenant, and God just keeps reiterating, and there are others who think, no, God's making multiple covenants. But here's the point that, that, that really matters most. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. That's what God is establishing here. He's saying to Noah, listen, you've come to know that I am trustworthy. I keep my word, right? This whole big boat flood thing, let's just be honest, right? It's a big deal. I kept my word. And now, Noah, I will keep my word with you and with your offspring. Verse 10, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Now, as God establishes this promise, this covenant with Noah, he's saying, listen, this promise is going to impact all of creation. Because see, here's what we have to understand, church. When Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't just corrupt the bloodline of man. It did that. It distorted the image of God, the imago Dei in human beings, but it also corrupted creation itself. Like the New Testament talks about how creation is crying out for and longing for the return of Christ to put all things back in order. As God describes the earth being corrupt and and out of order, that applies to creation too. And so God is saying to Noah, listen, this isn't just about 
people getting off. This is about my entire, the entire order of my creation being impacted and corrupted because of your sin. And so I'm making this promise to you, to your offspring, to every living creature that is with you. I will put things back in order. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Here's the reminder of the covenant, verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud. Now he is talking about the rainbow. Now without any kind of scientific background, right, you step outside and you see a rainbow and it looks like somebody just painted, right, these beautiful colors in the sky, this nice symmetric symmetrical arch in the sky, right? And we know, though, from a scientific perspective, why that happens. There's moisture in the air, water molecules refracting light like a prism, and it casts these colors in this very, right, consistent shape. It's always the same shape. Sometimes you can see the whole thing. Sometimes there's more than one. Like this summer, we've had some fantastic rainbows with all the unpredictable weather and thunderstorms just popping up out of nowhere and then going away quickly. Right? We've seen some beautiful rainbows and so what God is doing is saying, listen, I have orchestrated and designed the universe and the atmosphere to reflect this promise I'm making to you. Every time you go outside and you see thunder clouds, a thunder head brewing in the distance, and you begin to hear the thunder clapping, you see the lightning strike, and then it begins to turn into rain falling and then downpour, I want you to remember that I made you a promise. Every time the clouds part, the sun comes back out and you see that rainbow, I want you to remember, Noah, that I made you a promise. Stop for a minute. Isn't that cool? God embeds his promises in the atmosphere, in the refraction of light. I mean, prisms are cool anyway, but God embeds this in the physics of our environment. Now, why am I making a big deal about that? Because that gives us an indication of the character of God's promises. They are static, permanent. They're fixed, right? Just like every time light refracts in that certain way, it always produces a prism, right? God's promises are fixed in the universe. Verse 14, when I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. When we're going to read God's story this way, we're going to see this is less about Noah and his ark, right? And more about God and his righteous judgment and his merciful rescue. God would have been completely just to just forget the whole ark thing and wipe everything off the face of the earth and start over. 
That's how holy and righteous God is. He would have been perfectly fine and just to do that. But because his character also contains mercy and grace, he chose to rescue Noah and his immediate family and a remnant of creation. Now, don't think for a second that God was naive in thinking that he had fixed things, right? This didn't fix things, did it? Why? Because the distorted image of God was carried into Noah. We see him bearing evidence of that right after the worship service. And then he passes that down, of course, to his children, their children, to us today. Matter of fact, in the second part of verse 21 of chapter 8, listen to this. God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. That is such an important grouping of phrases. It begins with a promise. I will never again curse the ground. Then there's this reminder in the middle. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And then it ends with a promise. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that he meets us in the midst of our corruption and our sin with his promises. God would be completely just to fold his arms and watch you and I wallow in our sin and reap the fruit of our corruption. But instead, he sees the intentions of our heart is evil, even from youth, right? You don't have to teach children to be selfish, right? You don't have to teach them to lie to cover up their mistakes. Now, some are worse at it than others. Some are more sneaky than others, but right? God's saying, listen, mankind, you are corrupt even from youth, but let me sandwich that in between two promises, Let me remind you in your sin struggle that I am faithful and good and merciful. And God meets his people in the midst of their sin with a promise to rescue. It's no mistake that Enoch walked with God and he escaped sin. Like God wants us to see in that the curse of sin and death can be undone. And don't make the mistake of thinking Enoch escaped sin and death because he was a highly moral person or because he had perfect church attendance. Right? That doesn't impress God. It was the fact that Enoch walked in faith with God that God rescued him from sin and death. Now, we're going to turn to the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. So last week, I talked about how the New Testament is a really helpful commentary um, and explanation of the Old Testament. Sometimes we read the Old Testament, we get bogged down in like genealogies or this story or that story, and we don't always know how these stories fit into the bigger story of the Bible, and we don't always know what in the world does this story have to do with me, right? So what does Noah's Ark have to do with me? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, we get a really helpful commentary on the characters of the Old Testament, and we get some really helpful commentary on Noah. I want to walk through this with you, just the first seven verses. If you are a person who writes or circles things in your Bible, I want you to just just mark how many times the word faith comes up, because this is clearly a chapter about faith. Now, let's walk through this together, starting in verse 1. Now, faith is, so we're about to get a definition of faith. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's stop for a minute. Can we apply that to Noah? Was Noah a man of faith? Well, how do we know? Well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Do you see in Noah an assurance of things hoped for? You better believe it. I sure hope this boat works. I sure hope God does flood the earth and doesn't change his mind because A, I'm going to look like a fool. B, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living in a boat because that's my new house. Right? Don't you see in Noah's story this deep abiding assurance in something he was hoping would happen? So it's assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This idea of conviction means that I feel so deeply about something, I act upon it. Talk about an example of conviction, right? I am so convicted. God has spoken. He's going to do this. I'm going to act on things that are what? Not seen yet. I haven't seen an ark. Don't ask me what it's supposed to look like. I don't know. Is it going to work? I hope so. God said it was going to work. And so we see Noah's a man of faith, isn't he? He's a man who walked in assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Look at verse 2. For by it, what is it? Faith. So for by faith, people of old, so think of Old Testament, guys like Noah, by faith, people of old received their commendation. They were commended for what? Their faith. Noah was not commended for being an expert carpenter. He was commended for his faith. Enoch was not commended for being a super religious person. He was commended for what? His faith. Matter of fact, look look at what we read. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. He spoke it into existence so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. So what made Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? Is it because he offered more? No, because he offered it in faith. That was the difference between their sacrifices. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice more acceptable than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So God looked at Abel and said, Abel, you're a righteous man. Why? Because you offer your sacrifices in faith. And through his faith, he died, yet he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Why was God pleased with Enoch? Because of his church attendance? Because of how much money he gave to the church or how often he volunteered to serve or how many times he helped the poor and the needy? No. For one reason, Enoch was commended as a righteous man. What was that reason? Faith. He walked 
in fellowship and obedience with God because of his faith. Now we begin to apply this to our own lives, don't we? Listen, I love that you're here on Labor Day weekend. I know you could be somewhere else and this is kind of you, most of you have tomorrow off and this is right in the middle of your weekend. Now hear me on this. God is not pleased with you because you made the sacrifice of coming to church today. You can't please God that way. Matter of fact, look at what Hebrews 11 says. Verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you want God to be pleased with you today? It won't be because of how religious you are. It'll simply be based on the merits of your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he is commended or he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Two things. At the men's gathering this last Friday night, um, Shane was talking to us men about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. And he talked about the difference between being afraid of God versus walking in reverence and awe. We walk in reverence of all, that's the beginning of wisdom. We look at Noah's life, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that, that Noah walked in reverence and awe of who God was. In reverent fear, he constructed the ark for saving his household. And by this, he commended the world and became the heir. And here is the thread that stitches every story together. We're gonna see it from, from, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David. It's the righteousness that comes by faith. Listen, church, that is a big deal. We don't talk about it a lot in our culture today. A desire to be considered righteous. We just desire to be good people. We desire to be liked people. We desire to have people affirm us through liking our posts on social media. That's what we desire. But God's standard is for you to be righteous, without flaw, without fault, without condemnation. Like, this is a big deal. So last week, we we asked the question, who are the people of God? And the Bible overwhelmingly declared to us the people of God are those who have received God's abundant grace and his free gift of righteousness. Those are the people of God. And now we see that, we see now why Noah was considered righteous as a man of God. It was because he was made righteous by his faith. God's people are those who put their faith in him. Now, just briefly, I want to talk about the ark itself. This is important to understand. So, last week I talked a little bit about what's called a type. And another word I used was a pattern. So, the Bible talks about types, these patterns that are set in the Bible that point forward to something else. 
So the difference between a type and say like an analogy. An analogy is where you, 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 you take a story or a, an object that is commonly understood, easily understood, and you use it to illustrate something that's not easily understood. So Jesus does this a lot in his parables. When he says, hey, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, right, because you can relate to that. If you don't have two sons, you know a man who has two sons. You can relate to that. And he uses that to teach us about the kingdom. Or when he says, hey, it's like a farmer who went out to sow seeds. Those are analogies. But here's, what is, here's what's distinct about a type. It is something that God ordains and fixes in his story with the specific inerrant purpose of pointing to something else. You follow me? It's not just a random example. It is a specific example, and it's embedded in the story, and it's meant to point to something that is to come. So we talked about last week how Adam was a type. And, and what God did through the story of Adam is he showed us how one man can impact the rest of humanity and the rest of creation through sin. And, and Adam serves as a type to point to Jesus who came as one man, right? Whose, whose actions led to what? The goodness, and it impacted all mankind, and it restores all that was done through the other one man. So now the ark, then, for us, is an illustration of God's place of rescue. And so I just wonder if you're here today, and you have not come to the place in your life journey where you have trusted in God's rescue through his son, Jesus. There'll be some similarities to what we just read about Noah. The same way that the story of Noah's ark didn't make sense before Noah took that step of faith. Listen, it may not make sense to you. I hope it doesn't make sense to you, actually. I hope it baffles you to think that there could be a God so powerful and holy, he created the universe with words, and I hope it baffles you to know that he wants to have a relationship with you. Like, I hope that catches you off guard in a significant way, the same way it would catch you off guard if God called you to build an ark. Listen, that is the gospel. And God's salvation, his rescue comes to you in the same way it comes to Noah, by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not yet seen. The ark serves for us as a pattern, as a type of what is to come. It's pointing us forward towards Jesus, our ultimate place of refuge, Jesus is the one who ultimately undoes the curse of sin and death. So what happened for Enoch, what happened to Noah, it's available to you. But listen, we have to understand that Jesus is more than like the eject button when things get hard. Like the same way he walked with Enoch and he walked with Noah, he wants to walk with you. Like in a relationship and fellowship where you would get to know his voice you would get to know his character, get to know that he's trustworthy. So when he asks you to do something hard, right, you respond with faith and trust. Why? Because you know he's trustworthy. The same way that Enoch and Noah were spared the punishment of sin and death because they walked in fellowship with God, Jesus desires to walk with you. So listen, if that's you and you're here today and you've not taken that step of faith to trust in Christ for the first time, I'm, I'm gonna pray in a minute that you'd, you'd make that decision today, you trust in Christ. And if you're struggling with doubts right now, as I even say that, you're like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for that. That's fine. That doesn't offend me at all. But guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pray God would give you the faith to push through that doubt. 
I am just gonna pray for that. God, we give you the faith to take that step into trust in Christ. And for some of you here today who are Christians, there's a good chance there's an ark sitting in front of you right now in some form or another. God is calling you to do something that seems absurd to the rest of the world. It may be a career change. It may be to adopt a child. It may be something that seems huge to you that may not seem big to anybody else, but you know it right now. He's calling you to take a step and to take that step will require faith. Letting go of everything, all the reasons why it's not a good idea, to let go of everything that you're trusting in right now and to take that step of faith. For some of you, it might be baptism. For others of you, it might mean setting up a meeting to go talk to that person that you have a broken relationship with. I don't know what that is, but there's a good chance God is calling you to take a step that would maybe seem absurd or maybe even feel impossible. And the question is whether or not you're gonna trust not in what he's asking, but trust in his character. And so if that's you, I'm gonna pray for you today too. I'm gonna pray that God would give you the faith like Noah to take that step, okay? So we're gonna pray together and um, our prayer partners will be available in the room. You may or may not know this, they're here for you. You, They don't even have to know you by name. They welcome you just coming and while we're singing, grabbing one of them and saying, hey, will you pray for me about such and such or pray about this? They'd be honored to pray with you or talk with you. They'll be at the front, they'll be at the back. Our worship team's gonna come forward. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. God, we thank you for the story of Noah. And God, today, it's just so powerful to see how Noah fits into your story. This is really not about a man in a boat. This is about a holy God who punishes sin and at the same time offers a sweet rescue of mercy to be received by faith. God, thank you for teaching us who you are through the story today. And Father, we pray right now, God, we gather our hearts together. We pray for any person here who has not taking, taken that initial step of faith to trust in Jesus, God. Would you grant that person faith today? And, and Father, for any person here who is a Christian already, but in some way, God, you have challenged them to take a step of faith, to move forward in a direction that either doesn't make sense or seems absurd or impossible. Father, I pray, God, you would stir our faith today. You would grant us the faith to trust you like Noah trusts you, to walk with you like Enoch walked with you, God. Father, I pray, oh, I pray, God, that this church could be known as a people who trust God. Father, you are trustworthy. Help us, oh God, to put our trust in you. We pray all this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.